This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Fertility Hour. And um, I'm really excited for our next guest. I just finished her book and um, I learned so much that I'm just, you know, I'm excited to have Dr. She's an author and naturopathic doctor, Kate Rayom. She's a graduate and former faculty member of the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Dr. Kate lectures internationally on many topics related to health and wellness and is a frequent guest on radio and television across North America. She is the author of the best-selling book, Vitamin K2 and the Calcium Paradox, How a Little-Known Vitamin Can Save Your Life. Welcome, Dr. Kate. Hi, thanks, Charlene. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, so anyways, I finished your book and um, I need to read it again. I mean, there's so much information there and really, you know, we were just having a short conversation about it. Um, you know, we are raised, well, I mean, I was raised drinking gallons of milk. I mean, we just couldn't keep it up in our house and dairy. And now there's a whole conversation around dairy, but then there's a, a bigger, and then, and then there's another conversation about calcium because it was always the concern. Oh my gosh, you need to supplement with calcium. You have to supplement with calcium. And, and then the first question is, if you were to say, well, I've kind of started eliminating dairy, but where do you get your calcium? It's almost mm-hmm. like a panic type question. So, you know, you've written this book and what do you mean? I mean, how, how did you title the book, The Calcium Paradox? And, you know, what does that mean? Well, calcium is a truly a double-edged sword. We know that we need it in our bodies, but we need it to be in the right places. And if it ends up in the wrong places, it can be dangerous and even deadly. And this is more common than you might think. And as well, that, that thing about you know, the, the calcium paradox or, or us as in North America consuming so much milk, for example, and actually having quite high calcium diets and yet we have more osteoporosis and bone disease than many cultures or than some cultures who have quite low calcium intake diets. We know that calcium is not the whole story when it comes to bone health. It's been an important and overlooked part of the puzzle when it comes to heart health. And there's lots of implications of that. I see. Okay. So, I mean, you talked about it quite extensively in the book. Um, what are the potential? Okay, so obviously we need calcium in our bones. Is that still an agreed upon? Of course, yeah. fact. Okay, right. But but where? So we'll, we're taking calcium in supplementation. A lot of people are consuming dairy products. Where does the calcium end up that we don't want it to go to? Mm-hmm. So once we've absorbed the calcium, it can go to our bones. That's what we hope. But it can also end up depositing in a number of places around the body. Most dangerously, it can end up depositing in our arteries. If it's that is in sort of the three major arteries that feed the heart, the coronary arteries, this is an important factor in coronary artery disease, which is the major killer, major cause of heart attacks. 
and which is the number one killer uh, in the Western world, essentially. It can also lead to hardening of the arteries. So this is a different type of calcium buildup in the arteries in which they come, become stiff and less flexible. So really calcium um, is very problematic when it comes to heart health, but it can also deposit in our joints, uh, heel spurs, uh, joint tissue calcification, kidney stones, crunchy bits of calcium here and there, breast tissue calcification, it can kind of end up in many different places depending our, on our, uh, say, genetic propensity and, and other factors. Okay, so then the second part of the title, how a little known vitamin could save your life. What's the little known vitamin and, mm -hmm. and how, how could it have this benefit? Well, this is it's vitamin k2 and our body because we've always had to deal with calcium and having naturally in fact such high calcium levels in the body and this is something that people aren't necessarily aware of we maintain a high calcium level almost all the time we need that for our uh, heart to beat for our nerves to function for our muscles to work and so if you don't have calcium in your bones it's probably not because you're not getting enough or you don't have enough in your blood uh, and so we've always needed a way to deal with calcium and make sure it doesn't end up in the wrong places. The body has a very sophisticated system to deal with this, but it relies in large part on a nutrient called vitamin K2 that has essentially been misunderstood, overlooked for a very long period of time, but it really is the key to turning on this whole calcium removal system and so that's why I wrote the book. Okay, so um, honestly, I, I got introduced. I mean, it's, I, I mean, being in the nutrition field, I really did not know anything about K2. And then when I started looking at Weston A. Price's work, that's what introduced me, you know, maybe five or six years ago. And, mm -hmm. and so um, it is a little known vitamin, as you were saying, I guess it, it's getting yeah. more publicity <laughs> as of late. Um, but how did we become deficient? I mean, how did it sort of disappear out of our diets? There's two main sources of vitamin K2 in our diets. And one is grass-fed animal foods. So you will find a small amount of vitamin K2 in regular animal foods, egg yolks. It's a fat-soluble vitamin, so yolks, butter, these kinds of things. But much more so when the animals are out eating grass. So when they're on the pasture eating their green leafies, we get a lot more vitamin K2 in our foods. And since, you know, we've removed animals from the pasture and they're largely grain fed, there was a, you know, our, our K2 intake took a big hit at that time. The other source of K2 containing foods are certain types of fermented foods. So some, but not all bacteria have the ability to make vitamin K2. And so that means that some fermented foods, but not all, are good sources of K2. So the invention of the refrigerator hasn't been our friend in this department because once we started using fridges, we started consuming a lot less fermented foods. The concept of eating fresh fruits and vegetables every day is just not something people did before fridges were common in every house. Uh, we just ate more fermented foods. And in North America, we don't have a lot of tradition around eating fermented or cultured foods. And so this is another big reason why vitamin K2 is not high in our diets. If someone was um, making sure that all of their um, meat was uh, grass-fed, and I know it's very important, grass-finished, right? Um, and then they were eating eggs that were pastured. 
Mm -hmm. uh, would that be sufficient amount of K2 in our diets? Well, it depends. During the summertime, depending on where you live, it might be. Because remember, the, um, you know, the grass obviously growing uh, in, in most parts of the world only in a certain season, a few months out of the year. And in fact, the, it gets a little complicated, but the rate at which the grass is growing, in fact, even has an impact on how much K2 you're going to get into your food. So there, there is a natural seasonal variance in that. And we have to remember it's a fat-soluble vitamin. So just choosing grass-fed meats, in fact, meat is quite lean and typically low in fat. So you, again, have to emphasize the egg yolks, the butter, uh, these kinds of things. And so if in under optimal conditions at the right time of the year, you might be able to meet your K2 intake just with grass-fed animal products alone. Fermented foods do provide a much more consistent source that you can take advantage of year round because there's less variance. For example, when I talk about cheeses, you don't, the, the, the milk that went into the cheese doesn't need to be grass fed. That has nothing to do with it. It's the bacteria that make the vitamin K2 and some bacteria make it and some don't. So some cheeses are high and others don't. So it is possible with very careful food selection. And if you're very lucky to have grass fed foods to meet your intake of K2, um, with diet only, but it's challenging and we need to do more testing to find out more foods that contain K2. There, there are likely more than the few that we know of. In your book, you talk about supplementation and you talk about <clears throat> two types of K2, one being the synthetic form and one being a natural form. So mm -hmm. if um, you make a great point about pastured animals and, and pastured products at only certain times of the year where they're sufficiently uh, pasturing on actual grass, and the other times of the year, then you're able to supplement with, um, could you talk a little bit about the supplementation? Yeah, so when you go to buy vitamin K2 supplements, you're right, you will find two main types of them on the shelves, something called MK4 and something called MK7. So there are naturally occurring different types of vitamin K2. You don't have to get bogged down with that. You don't need to worry about getting all the types or whatever, just any type of vitamin K2 will do. And the MK4 and MK7 are often sometimes referred to as synthetic versus natural because uh, the, the MK7, the natural form, is produced by bacterial synthesis, much in the same way as fermented food, and the synthetic version isn't. And regardless of your feelings on synthetic versus natural, they've both been tested, they've both uh, been the subject of extensive research, and both found to be safe and effective. There's a bit of a difference, though, in terms of the dose. As far as we know, the MK4 form needs to be taken in a higher dose, according to the research that we have currently. Whereas one of the advantages of the MK7 forms uh, is that it can be taken in lower doses and a single daily dose. So that seems more convenient, which is why I tend to move towards that. But it's just as, as long as you can find some uh, vitamin K2, you're doing better than not having any at all. Can you recommend a, a couple lines of K2 supplementation for us? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm always re reluctant to do that because I don't want to miss out any good products that may be out there that either I'm not aware of. And I'm also up here in Canada, so we don't have uh, the same brands that you do. I see. But, um, so the one I, I tend to take is Natural Factors. I know that's available in Canada and the U.S. Uh, I hear from people who have good results taking uh, the Mercola brand, the Life Extension brand, um, um, but there's a few others that, that aren't coming to mind right now, Perfect. but there are several good ones out there. Uh, okay. And I know all those can be found. I, I know all those can be found on Amazon. So that's kind of mm -hmm. an easy thing. Um, 
okay, so when people are listening to this, and I don't know how much our audience knows about, I mean, there's a big debate about cholesterol right now. That, that's a huge topic um, in the health field. Um, and when you were talking about heart disease and um, calcium um, in the arteries, but doesn't cholesterol cause heart disease? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm glad the tide is finally turning and awareness is growing that we've really so much been led astray in our fight against heart disease, just focusing so much on cholesterol. Uh, it turns out that having high cholesterol levels, in fact, are not a great predictor of your risk of having a heart attack. They don't correlate well. They especially don't correlate well for women. And in fact, by lowering, you can, yes, you can take medications to lower your cholesterol that really do lower your cholesterol. And it turns out that they don't really impact whatsoever your chance of having a heart attack. So that's not good news uh, for primary prevention in particular. So preventing a first heart attack, statin medications don't seem to have any impact. If you've already had a heart attack, statins seem to lower your risk somewhat of having a second one. But really the whole focus on cholesterol has led us astray to some of the more, uh, well, many, all of the more important risk factors, which is inflammation, calcium buildup in the arteries, uh, low magnesium levels, which can affect blood pressure and other aspects of heart health. So these are really so much more important. And the presence of calcium in your arteries is an excellent predictor of your, whether or not you will have a heart attack. So that is much more important to pay attention to. And the good news is if the calcium's there, whether you know it's there or not, you can get it out. And the body has a way of doing this, but it needs vitamin K2. What test, um, what test is performed to diagnose if there's calcium in the arteries? The most useful test is something called a CAC, uh, coronary artery calcification test. It can go by a few different names, but it's essentially a, a super fast CT scan. There's, there's different types of imaging that can be used to look at the beating heart in a still image and measure how much calcium is in the major, uh, the, the three coronary arteries, and then pre present that as a number, like a quantity. And that number is, is quite a good predictor of your risk of heart attack within five years of the test. So that is something that I do recommend people get if they're at all concerned about their heart health. I think you mentioned in, the, um, in your book, is there a couple books you recommend um, so that people can learn more about, I guess, quote unquote, the cholesterol myth and educate there, themselves? Yeah, so my book deals with part of that and some mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. And certainly there are a lot of good books out that talk about the history, how we became led astray, uh, The Big Fat Surprise by Nina uh, T. Schultz is one of them that's out recently, that's, that's quite readable and fun. Good Calories, Bad Calories by Gary Tobes. It's a, it's a bigger, longer read, but it really gets into the details. Another great book. Uh, I like those two. Uh, Eat the Yolks is another one, as well as Eat Fat, Get Thin. These are ones that help to counteract the, the myth around cholesterol. And of course, your book, you, you did a wonderful job introducing someone to kind of re-understanding cholesterol because um, how sometimes I tell people is, well, cholesterol is more like a check engine light. It's not mm. the, you know, um, it's telling you. Yeah, I like that. And, and even elevated cholesterol isn't necessarily a problem itself. You just want to make sure the cholesterol that you have is working for you, not against you, uh, not just uh, focusing on lowering it but I like the check engine light uh, analogy. 
You know, um, well, we talked about it a little bit, but uh, the question was, what simple food lies at the heart of a grassroots movement? And um, talk a little bit about that. Simple foods that, that lie at the heart of a... Yeah, it's, um, well, I'll, I'll give you the answer. You, you talk beautifully about eggs oh, in your book. Yes. Right. And there's an and egg. I mean, when you say an egg, there's a lot of questions because like you said in the book, there's free range, cage free, pasture. So an egg is not an egg. I mean, you have to really define it these days. So mm -hmm. there's, there's factory farmed conventional eggs, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole other opposite end of the spectrum. Why do we want to... Um, pick a particular egg and spend a couple bucks more, like what's really the advantage of, really, of this really type of egg? Difference. There, there are so many differences between the factory farmed egg and the egg from the truly pastured hen. And I don't mean free range as in there's an open door policy, but the hens are actually out in the field eating grass and bugs and these kinds of things. There's lots of different uh, reasons for this and advantages for it. When it comes to K2, for example, you will get a smidgen of K2 in your regular grocery store egg. You would have to eat about a dozen of those per day every day to have a worthwhile amount of K2 in your diet, which is, of course, impossible. But at the, the right time of the year, a pastured egg with the lovely orange yolks, just two of those in a day, uh, will give you a worthwhile amount of vitamin K2. So it, it's, it just makes a huge difference of being able to get your nutrients from food or not. And that doesn't even go into the beta carotene, the omega-3s, the vitamin A. I mean, there's just so much more nutrition in a pastured egg. When you start eating a pastured egg and just seeing the, the golden yolk and, and the flavor, and I, I, it's just a world of difference. It's, mm -hmm, it it's, really is. It's, it's, it's well worth it. Mind opening, yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you raise your own chickens? I don't. I'm not in an area where I can do that, but mm -hmm. I am in an area where I'm close enough to several uh, small farms that do that I can get great eggs exactly. almost all year round. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, what is the relationship between vitamin K2 and vitamin D? This is very important. Okay. These, these two work together. They are partners in a very important way, in, in a number of ways. But the simplest way to, to explain their relationship is when vitamin D, the big role that we have for vitamin D in terms of calcium, it has, of course, lots of roles in our health. But when it comes to calcium, vitamin D helps us absorb calcium. Once the calcium is absorbed, vitamin D has no control over where that goes. So it might go into your bones or it might land anywhere else. As a matter of fact, a, a symptom of vitamin D toxicity, which isn't common, but when it happens, how that manifests is by uh, calcification all around the body in inappropriate places. Vitamin K2, however, will take the calcium that we've absorbed, make sure it gets into the bones and doesn't land in the arteries and even take that out of there. So for anybody who's taking vitamin D, vitamin K2 is really important. Okay, thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, and, and so, okay, you talked about uh, one theory and it was called the, the triage theory of aging. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope I understood it correctly because um, I mean, our audience is um, people who are interested in natural fertility. They're trying to conceive. And I kind of looked at that triage theory of aging and I said, oh, this kind of explains some fertility issues people are having. Um, mm -hmm. 
Did I understand it correctly that yeah, it would no, sort of tie in? Because like, really talk about what that yeah. is. What's the theory? Right. So the triage theory of aging, or you could say the triage theory of health or disease or anything like this, is that if the nutrients coming into your body are in limited supply, or they're not, not every nutrient is available in optimal amounts, then the body has to triage or make a decision of where it's going to use certain nutrients. And so that means that some aspects of our physiology may get the short end of the stick. And if over time you're consistently not getting optimal levels of nutrients, that can result in uh, diseases that, that will manifest over time. This absolutely is relevant to fertility because fertility tends to get the shortest end of the stick, typically. If nutrients aren't coming in at optimal levels, that is one of the first things that the body will give up on. It's essentially saying, hey, you know what? Maybe now's not a good time to have a baby because we're just not getting in uh, enough resources that we'd like to. We're going to channel these over to more survival things, and you can consider making babies later. So absolutely, the triage theory really does apply to fertility. What if someone's listening and saying, but I take heaps of vitamins. Um, I mean, it's kind of going back to you need all these co-nutrients to absorb. I mean, can you talk about that a, a little bit more? How sometimes, because sometimes people, I mean, I'm guilty of it. You research on the internet. Oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. And you just end up taking, you're like, how could I be deficient? I'm taking a ton of stuff. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And just because we're taking that kind of stuff there's, doesn't guarantee that we're getting things in the proper ratios. In many cases, we don't necessarily know what those are. Um, there is still for sure a lot we don't know incredibly around nutrition, although we've made lots of advances and, and supplements can be extremely useful to get nutrients that are difficult or, or have become impossible, in fact, to get through our diets for a number of reasons, like we're no longer eating organ meats, which were likely sources of really important nutrients for fertility and general health and things like that. Um, but when it comes, and I, I can say for sure for, for vitamin K2, yes, it should be balanced with vitamin D as well. Some A, uh, we know, I know, I know, uh, vitamin E plays an important role. It's another fat soluble nutrient for fertility and yet we don't necessarily know its connection here, but you're right. There are, uh, there's, there's still a lot we don't necessarily know, uh, although we are making advances for sure. Going back to the, tri the triage theory, in your book, you were talking about um, DNA and mitochondrial issues with the, um, the, the vitamin deficiencies that were happening. Um, the, the reason I bring that up is um, my partner, Dr. Eva Keen, with the Natural Fertility Prescription, which she really finds um, clinically with working with her patients is um, one of the number one issues with fertility today is um, mitochondrial issues mm. and, and of course, poor sperm quality, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. in a minute. So um, um, I'm trying to kind of tie that in, but I just remember reading about that and thinking, oh, yeah, there's vitamin deficiencies. So even if someone was able to get pregnant, it could often end in miscarriage because there are those chromosomal issues happening because of right. the deficiencies. Yeah, we're, we're just gaining an appreciation for the role of the mitochondria and various problems that you can have with the mitochondria if they're not working optimally in a variety of health conditions and uh, fertility is one of them. And there is also some uh, 
preliminary information to suggest that vitamin K2 does play a role in the mitochondria, which is, of course, the energy producing center, like the batteries of every cell in our body. So that's quite fundamental to the function of each individual cell. And if for some reason that's not working well, then you can have all kinds of, um, all, you can see all kinds of problems. Um, can you discuss, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, osteocalcin production uh, on vitamin D as being essential to male fertility? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really interesting. So osteocalcin is a protein that's produced by the bones that we just always kind of thought was simply uh, produced by the bones for the bones. And that was the end of the story. But now we know that this uh, um, protein produced by the bones has far reaching effects in the body, at least a couple of areas that we know of and fertility is one of them. So uh, osteocalcin is a, a nutrient that seems to help with um, male fertility and increasing sperm counts. And wherever you see osteocalcin, you think about vitamin K2, because we know this is a nutrient that is required uh, typically to activate that osteocalcin and get it to um, draw calcium into the bones. But even since publishing my book and fairly recently, there have been a couple new studies coming out to confirm that vitamin K2, by different mechanisms, helps to boost testosterone levels and increase sperm count. So for male fertility, we know this is really important. It's kind of that concept, everything is so interconnected. And, mm -hmm. and, and it used to be more kind of like an Eastern or, or alternative holistic kind of tagline, but it's, everything is so interwoven and connected. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really fascinating um, that, that, that they've made those connections. Agreed. And it's really exciting to see the research come out uh, to confirm those findings and even show further results in terms of fertility, for example, because you're right, everything is connected. So sometimes that leads to a feeling of the more we know, the less we know. But, mm. um, but on another, uh, the other side of it is we are actually making discoveries that have useful, practical, meaningful implications that we can take advantage of right now for fertility. I just want to point out um, with your book, I mean, we, we are talking about fertility, but in your book, you talk about liver cancer, Alzheimer's, heart disease, aging, wrinkles. I mean, you kind of cover, uh, the, I know there's more, what, what are some of the other um, diseases that you cover in there? Children's health was a big one, oral yeah. health, cavities oh, yeah. um, was, was one. And actually, since even since publishing my book, there's been a lot of really interesting information coming about vitamin K2 and psoriasis, which I didn't write about, but I, I found that the results were so great that I, I try to mention that. Um, but yeah, the cancer thing was, I was huge. I was astonished. That's the original research I found around vitamin K2 was for cancer, various types of cancer. And since the publication of the book, more research showing... Uh, really important results for prostate cancer and prostate health for men in general. Okay, thank you. Um, this is really interesting. Discuss vitamin K2's role in normal facial development. Mm, yeah. um, you know. This was so interesting to me. Yeah. And I think the pictures in the book uh, do say a thousand words here. And it is a lot based on the work of Weston Price, who uh, did a lot of the radiographs 
and, and provided a lot of these pictures, but then we since have more modern evidence to corroborate those findings in terms of vitamin K2 deficiency and its role in facial development, specifically helping to promote the development of a wide face that's um, symmetrical uh, with a, like a long straight nose and, and typically the, the width of the face is important. What I think is interesting, so when I wrote the book, my understanding of the time based on the information I'd seen was a, a big factor in this, and it still is for facial width and development of teeth happens in the womb in utero. So K2 is important then, but because the face does continue to grow until you know, 18, 19, 20 even, I think there is now, I, I do believe that there's an opportunity for kids who are taking K2 and have K2 in their diets throughout life to make up for deficiencies at that time and, and end up with a nice wide face, which can mean avoiding braces, for example, these kinds of things. So it's very hopeful. It, um, it is so interesting because if you're not educated on it and you have children and the overcrowding of the teeth or the, um, you know, whatever the, the, the canine teeth, not, there's no room for, I mean, you just, mm -hmm. you don't think twice about it. You just think, Oh, my kid's going to need braces and there's nothing about nutrition or because you talk about, um, in your book, first trimester deficiencies mm -hmm. of K2 and that, um, I'm sorry, I kind of forgot what you had mentioned about that, but was it leading to um, like the narrowing of the face and the overcrowding of the mouth, et cetera? Yeah, when that seems to have an impact even that early on. Um, so we know it's, it's important before pregnancy for fertility, at least for sure for men, possibly for women, we don't know how, but then first trimester early on for organ, you know, fetal development, but as well a development of those facial bones and structures and even the little tooth buds that are that are starting to form and so it does make a difference even that early on i mean we really 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 emphasize the the, the prenatal nutrition and i love how you cover that in your book and you know you talk about um, first and second born children, but there's one example of a, a young girl, actually the first born where the mother did not have optimal prenatal nutrition. Um, there was the narrowing of the nose, the narrowing of the face, the overcrowding of the teeth, the, the, the small narrow palate, and then her sister, which had um, the, the high quality fats in their diet, the pastured meats, the, you know, all the optimal nutrition, completely different palate, teeth were completely straight, just like Weston Price found in these tribal traditions. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about flossing and brushing, though, as you emphasize in your book, I mean, good oral hygiene is important. But what we're finding out about dental hygiene is so much more about our nutrition. Very then, much so. Yeah. Coming from the inside throughout life. And, you know, since publishing the book, there have been some interesting research papers coming out to support that really kind of mind blowing stuff looking at not just, you know, I talk about vitamin K2, how it gets concentrated in the saliva, which will go into your mouth and help keep your teeth clean. But um, dentists, for example, publishing theory papers about how the K2 will in fact affect the hypothalamus, which incredibly affects the health of all the teeth in your mouth, which we wouldn't have thought necessarily before. And um, so it really does play a profound uh, difference in, in the, you know, the, the face, the, all throughout life. What about this? I thought this was so interesting, discuss vitamin K2's role in labor. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the things that we, it seems to be the case is that vitamin K2 helps with the formation of the, the skull bones and particularly making sure that they're not hardening prematurely. And so this, if, if the bones are not hardening prematurely, you get a nice soft skull, which makes for a much easier labor. And because uh, the head molds and it can come out much, much easier versus uh, a rounded, more hardened skull that could just make for a more difficult birth. It may also have implications for, you know, the width of the hips and, and, and mom, things from mom's side. But it would seem that definitely from the baby's side of things, that's important. Um, I thought it was so interesting in your book, you, uh, you, you were citing examples of maybe it was Western Price, going into uh, tribal cultures where literally women would just go out in the field and they would come back with the baby or they'd be laying next to their partner at night, birth the baby themselves. Like it was kind of not a big deal, right. but it had very much to do with them sticking with their very traditional diets and therefore the labors were very easy. Um, yes. And then when they noticed that when those cultures became more in contact with, uh, you know, modern man, you could say, or developed or white cultures, and that would bring in those foods and those modern foods started to replace some of their traditional foods, then you start to see more difficulty in labor. Labor wasn't so easy and women would suffer, whether because it the shape of their hips had changed or that the baby's head or both. Um, labor difficulties became very common and difficult labors uh, in the way that they just simply never had been due to this change in nutrition. Okay, I, I have to emphasize again, I just, um, I just read Dr. Kate's book, um, The Calcium Paradox and How a Little Known Vitamin Can Save Your Life. I highly recommend you get this book. I got it off Amazon. Um, it's, I learned so much. Um, I, I knew little bits and pieces of everything, but um, when she ties to all the different diseases in the K, in the K2 research, and because there's so much emphasis in the last um, decade or less about vitamin D deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, well, we, um, you'll, you'll educate yourself through this book about the nutrients that are needed to be taken with vitamin D um, because I mean, there's, like you said, there's so much we, we are still learning about vitamins and co-nutrients and how they affect our body. So this book is excellent. I mean, it just has so much information here. I really wanted to emphasize the fertility aspect of it, but um, there, there's, there's a lot there. It's an excellent book. Um, I thank you so much. How, how do how do we find out more about you? Obviously by reading your book, but um, do you have a website that um, we can go to and, yeah. and read more about you? Mm -hmm. People can reach me at www.drkatenbeef.com or you just Google doctor. Um, and yeah, my book is available on all the online booksellers. Okay, so um, uh, Ida, this part needs to be edited. You fr you froze during that part. You froze a couple little times. Is there a cell phone on? You might just put it on airplane mode, and we'll um, we'll do that again. And just um, I'll, I'll ask okay. that question I think again. I did have it on airplane mode from my last thing. Yeah, it should be on airplane mode. Yeah, I, that's why I missed your question earlier about the eggs and the grassroots movement because the sound cut out for a second. And I okay. Yeah. I, you had said, so I wasn't sure if you'd said grass fed or grassroots or what, what it was. Got, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay so uh, how do, uh, Dr. Kate, how do we find out more about you? 
People can reach me at www.drkatend for naturopathicdoctor.com. And my book is available on all the book online uh, retailers. Read the book. It is excellent. It, I read a lot of health books. I was like, I need to read this again. I got so much uh, important vital information out of there. Th thank you so much for your time. I loved interviewing you. And like I said, I've learned so much. Uh, you, you know, to the audience, when you read her book and you see that, like she said, the pictures are worth a thousand words. And, um, you know, we, in this interview, we talked about um, helping with fertility, but also once you get pregnant, how vital, uh, you know, optimal prenatal nutrition is, and obviously K2, vitamin D, um, how to get calcium into the right place. And um, I'm, so, I'm so glad I read the book because I actually, um, at a certain point, I kind of took every supplement um, that had calcium and I've kind of stuck it in my closet. Cause I was like, mm -hmm. gosh, until I find out more information, I feel, you know, cause all I've been learning about calcium is that it creates a lot of oxidative stress in the body. So yeah. um, once you have osteopenia or diagnosed osteoporosis, you don't need a calcium supplement. Okay. Thank you. So, so you, getting calcium from your food, but using K2 to get that calcium from your food to the, to the right place. Exactly. Okay. So I'm, so I'm glad I brought that up. So you do not recommend when you're talking about calcium and getting it to the right, you're not talking about taking calcium um, nope. vitamins. Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, and yeah, that's, I don't recommend calcium supplements for, you know, all women all the time. Some people say just cause you're a woman, you should take a calcium supplement. Mm -hmm. Completely disagree with that. And when you do need a calcium supplement, you don't need nearly as much as you think. 500 milligrams from even if you've got osteoporosis is really plenty. The body can't use much more than that. And it's just a matter of getting it and keeping it in the right places. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for specifying that. All right. Thank you, Dr. Kate. I, I enjoyed it so much. You're I welcome. really appreciate Thanks, your time. I appreciate uh, it. Okay. Uh, one last thing is if you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, support the Fertility Hour by subscribing. We appreciate it so much and we'll bring you more high quality content. One last question. Um, I, I do have more questions. Can I invite you back for a part two? Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.